Welcome to the Duluth Rundown interview section. Uh, we are just about to get going with our next interview, but first, a message from our sponsor, Austin Jaro Sports. Austin Jaro is where you want to go to get anything running related from gear to shoes to food, and of course, great advice uh, from all the people that work up there. So uh, check out Austin Jaro at 1025 West Central Entrance here in Duluth, Minnesota. Thanks, Austin Jaro. Okay, and now we are joined on the interview portion of our podcast, and we are joined today by uh, Brent Smith. Brent is a guy who's been here in Duluth, I, I assume, we'll find out, but uh, been running here in Duluth for a long time. I'm um, really excited to hear some of the stories and, and thoughts that, that he has. Brent, thank you for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, I want to start with the obvious first question that we always ask everybody. When did you get started running? What year was it? Um, who inspired you? Where were you? Uh, were you in Duluth or somewhere else? Um, anything you have to tell us about the early, early Brent Smith running days? Okay, I was uh, a 1974 graduate mm -hmm. of Cloquet High School. Okay. And I did run cross countries my uh, 7th through 12th grade years at, at Cloquet. I wasn't as much interested in the running aspect of it as I used it as more of a tool to prepare for the cross country ski season. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Uh, I was real involved in the ski program in Cloquet. There were a lot of early mentors that were cross-country skiers ahead of me, uh, Don and Dave Quinn. They both went on to quite an illustrious uh, Nordic skiing career. They were first and second in the second American Berkebeiner. Yeah, I knew those names, uh, and I don't even know skiing very well. Another fellow a little older than I am, but I, I hang out with him all the time, Denny Nelson. Denny was a very successful high school Nordic racer in Cloquet. He went on to, uh, he was he was in the Army during the Vietnam era. He ended up uh, enlisting in the Army, and he was stationed in Alaska. He got on the Army biathlon team, and those were the days that biathlon was strictly military. Mm -hmm. So he had uh, spent his years in Alaska. Uh, probably the, my biggest mentor and motivator was the coach of the ski team at the time, Joe Nowak. Joe was a city of Duluth ski jumper, grew up at Chester Bowl. Wow. Um, went on to win three city ski jumping titles in Duluth. And that's when they were held out at the Fond du Lac slide. Uh, Fond du Lac had a 70-meter ski jump at the time. Uh, he, for many years, had the hill record out there. Uh, it was broken eventually by Adrian Watt and Dave Hicks. But Joe came to Cloquet and developed the Pine Valley ski area. He found mm. land through Northwest Paper. They donated the land. He designed the jumps. He got donations to build the chalet and everything there so uh, he was uh, a real significant person in my life uh, my cross-country ski coach at the time was uh, Mike Marciniak both Mike and Joe have passed away but they still continue to play a big role in in my life mm -hmm. um, I wasn't a very good high school runner um, we had some uh, fellows that were pretty good on our team. We had Lee Cantonin who had, had a real successful running career and a couple others, but I, I was not very good. I probably didn't work at it nearly as hard as I did after I got out of school. I did very minimal summer training and just sort of started when the, when the season started in the fall. Um, but again, I, my emphasis was more directed toward the ski season. Yeah. I was a uh, cross-country skier and a ski jumper. I skied Nordic combined. Mm -hmm. I was a uh, poor at best ski jumper so I eventually in high school I didn't jump anymore and just focused on cross-country skiing but uh, that was basically my start. I remember a fellow and I my age, our first meet in Hibbing, and we were running with the varsity team, the older <laughs> kids, and we thought we were pretty good, and we got into the starting area, and we looked around, and the gun went off, and there was nobody behind us. We were the last two in the race. We, we passed <laughs> a few people, but uh, it was pretty humbling, to say the least, because yeah. running with the older kids, we thought maybe we were somebody, and we found out uh, re we really <laughs> weren't at the time. So You didn't put in a lot of 
effort it sounds like to get to the um, cross country season just because the season was the effort to the ski season, right? Correct. So. I use that as a tool to get to the to the ski season. Looking back on it, I certainly would have done things differently. Sure. Uh, it seemed and in, in it, it seemed that I put more effort into the running for sure after I got out of out of high school. And there were a couple of years I didn't do any running, any skiing. I just yeah. Um, it wasn't a real priority then. Uh, I guess it was '82. I was a I was an elementary school teacher in Esco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent 30, about 34 years there. And our elementary principal, a fellow by the name of Bill Hoffman, was said he was going to run Grandma's Marathon. <laughs> and of course, I you know, living in Coloque or Esco, I of course heard of Grandma's and hadn't really followed it much. And just sort of on a whim, I said, well, why don't you pick me up an entry, too? And those were the days that you had to get an entry in either that day or the day after because the race was going to fill. So oh, wow. I, I did get into the race in 82, and I had a goal. I thought at the time it seemed realistic. Maybe looking back on it now, it was a little the bar I set was a little too high, but I had a goal of breaking three hours. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I followed a runner's world training schedule or something pretty uh probably not real difficult looking back on it and i i did manage to run a, a 258 uh 27 so i i met my nice. my goal in the next year i entered again and i probably trained less thinking well i broke three hours last year so <laughs> and the thing i remember about that race is up until two years ago it was the only race that and grandma's I didn't break three hours I re- vividly remember walking along London Road thinking I've only got four or five miles left but it might as well be 20 because yeah. it, was, it was again a pretty eye-opening experience knowing yeah. that I hadn't really put the work in for the first two and needed to for the for the future if I was gonna do it right yeah. right <laughs> so that um, that quote failure was sort of a nice motivator for you a nice learning it was and i i said uh, a local paper did a little thing on me a couple of years ago and and i said i think i'm i'm more motivated by the prospects of failure than i am by the happenstance of success sure i look at my training for the berkey or the training for grandmas i used to do twin cities um if you bonk, it's you've got a lot. It's it's a struggle, and I've always said, you know, uh, grandma's is a little deceiving because you get to London Road and you think, man, I've got this thing made. I'm I'm in Duluth. Well, you're at the 18, 19 mile mark. You've got yeah the bulk of the race ahead of you. Right, right. And same with the Berkey, uh, Lake Hayward. The finish is just before the finishing stretch in the Berkey. Lake Hayward is a long haul if you if the gas tank is empty. Mm. So I think I try to base my training on the fact that I don't want to be there again as far as hitting the wall. And I mean, yeah. I've, I've <laughs> yeah. felt it. We've all felt it. Everybody's going to feel it. Yeah. Um, it's not pleasant. Yeah. And so I think I base my training on the fact that I don't want to get there again. Yeah. So that experience of walking along London Road, that stuck with you. Definitely. In those, when, when you're logging miles, training, preparing, yeah. like that's in the back of your mind, like I do not want yeah. that to happen again. And and I know now that the big clock keeps ticking. I'm 67. I'm a, I, I had some foot surgery last December, so I wasn't able to do grandma's. Um, you know, the chances of me going under three hours again are the window may have closed on that. But yet, when I run it again, or when I do the Berkey this winter, I want to be the best. That's my challenge. I want to be the best that I can be on that day, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm running over a minute, a mile slower than I did when I had my best races. But that's just, you know, father time kind of creeping up. and. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. taking its toll. At least you can still hold your head high at the end of the race that you did. Yeah. Ev- you left everything out there. and Yeah, and I think yeah. it actually might have been Jaro that many years ago, and I read something where he said he wanted to finish with dignity. Right. Hmm. And I, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. I don't want to be walking down Superior Street mm-hmm. in Grandma's. I want to be able to... And, and as you guys know, they're not easy. They're... Yeah. They're a struggle, and yeah. you <laughs> find things, you find aches and pains that you didn't even know you had places before. So it's, uh, even at your top fitness and that you're on a good day, Yeah, they're still hard. They're Particularly tough. with the marathon, more yeah. more than any other race distances. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. still make mistakes, like mental mistakes, right? Yeah. Going yeah. out just a little too oh, yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. And, and you think, miles. and I, I look back, I've, I've done about 20 or so grandmas and maybe 15 or so... Um, mm-hmm. Twin Cities, and you still have those temptations. You still think, <laughs> right. you know, there's a, there's always a stretch that the miles just seem to click by, and you think, oh, this, I mean, this is... Feeling great. This is, and, and you always have to kind of have that governor that says, right. you know, you've got uh, 20 miles left or whatever it is, that, and it's going to come back to bite you. Right. And I, I've, I've done that. I've made mistakes thinking, well, you know, this... This will last, but you know, there's like I say, there's times that those mile markers click by, and then there's next, there's other times you think, Holy cow, I don't know if I'm gonna ever see that balloon up in the air for the mile marker again. There, (laughs) we're walking, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, it sounds like in the early 80s, you got into the marathon running and uh, found some excitement, some success there, yeah. But were you still more passionate about skiing? I mean, were you still skiing, I guess, first? Yeah, I. There was a stretch I had done, I think, like nine Berkeys in a row. And I've always classic skied, and I still just classic ski the Berkey. I haven't mm-hmm. skated the Berkey, but um, I, I had signed up for my 10th, and I had actually gotten hurt playing pickup basketball, and I didn't ski that year. I don't know what year it was. And then I probably took mm. 10 or 15 years off from ski racing that mm. I didn't wow. that I didn't do it anymore. And I, and I can't really put my finger on why I chose not to do it. Yeah. Um, I guess if I had to come up with something, it would probably be that I focused a lot more on running mm-hmm. um, and was running year-round, which probably wasn't the healthiest thing to do just because of the pounding that you take. And um, I would have probably been better with a little more of a balance between skiing, and that's what I do mm-hmm. now, that I, I try to do a couple running workouts during the, during the week, during the winter, just to maintain some fitness as far as my legs and things so it isn't such a big change over at the uh Berkey's third weekend in February something like that and mm-hmm. so you don't have a lot of time to go from that into marathon training so I try to do a yeah. little bit of running during the winter just to yeah, hopefully true. make that uh change over not quite as drastic yeah that's true if you're starting kind of late February early March you're actually a couple of months behind that and yeah, you're up folks. against you're yeah. up against the at least time in terms element. of pure fitness. Your right. fi- your your you're overall fit. fitness is yeah. good, but running you're not running aspect fitness. is yeah, different. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, interesting. That's uh, interesting as well, Brent, to hear that as a high school student, you were kind of more passionate or excited about uh, cross country skiing, and then as an adult, it kind of flip flopped. I guess what. Uh, what excites you more or less about either discipline in terms of training, racing, everything like that? I think it, if if I had a choice now, if between going out for a run today or going out for a ski today, I'd probably pick skiing. I, I just yeah. it probably sounds goofy, but I like the movement of classic skiing. I yeah. just like yeah. how that. Uh, I guess how it feels, how it looks. Um, but I think as far as the marathon goes that, you know, I, I had that first one just under three hours and then I started to take a few minutes off and then I had a goal, well, I want to break 250. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I worked towards that goal of breaking 250 and well, and it's under 245. And um, whereas in skiing, it's, it's harder because to put a time on it like that because conditions vary so much in the Berkey that um, 
snow conditions, temperature, wax, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, I could have two good races back to back in 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 two years, and I might have I might be thirty minutes apart as <laughs> yeah. far as my my time goes. So it's right. really hard to say. Well, I want to break for right. me anyway to to break a certain time, whereas grandma's grad uh granted you do have the weather and wind variabilities but um less of a factor. it's a little more consistent right. i mean you know right it's typically not going to be a half hour difference right you know you're yeah. throwing on a pair of running shoes although that's changed <laughs> true <laughs> true that's changed from what it used to be that's very true um, <laughs> and i think that's one of the reasons why running was kind of intriguing to me is and this isn't the right term, but I've always used it as an honest sport yes. because mm -hmm. if the three of us are going to go out for a run or if the three of us are going to go out for a ski, skiing, you might beat me today because you're on better skis, you're on, you have better poles, you have better wax, mm -hmm. uh, or smarter about waxing, whatever it is, yeah. whereas running we're all going to throw on a pair of running shoes and we're equal. Right. Yep, absolutely. We're not, you know, yeah. one person doesn't have an advantage over the other. And I, co I coached uh, the Nordic ski team in Cloquet, Esco Carlton. I did two six-year stints. And I know it's a big deal for kids to look at their competitors and, and say, well, look at the equipment that he or she has on I can't possibly beat them whether they can or not it's it's mm -hmm. kind of ingrained in them that sure, the, that sure. equipment plays a factor in their psyche huh so yeah yeah absolutely I agree with you on that though running and just the pure simplicity of it yeah is it's, not too many things can match it has that changed over the years from a skiing perspective I mean back in the day like especially when you were in high school skiing competitively was that still ingrained in your psyche? And no, because, I mean, I look, and granted, that was 1974, so a few years ago, but uh, we had top-of-the-line cross-country skis, and they were about 40 bucks. And, they, of course, they were wooden wow. yeah. cross-country skis. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, I, and I look at what the the kids carry now. You know, they go to a meet, and a lot of them will have, it might be a, pursuit race where they have to mm -hmm. uh, uh, classic ski and skate ski so they might have one or two classic skis one or two skate skis in their quiver wow. of skis that day so mm -hmm. you know different couple different pair of boots not I mean some use the same boots but anybody that's anybody mm -hmm. has two completely sets and maybe two sets within that so you know they're carrying three four thousand dollars worth of equipment with them when they get on the team bus that morning and, and that was one of the hmm. that was one of the things about skiing back in my day is that you were not disqualified from the sport because right. of finances or right. a financial yeah. situation mm -hmm. uh, you could anybody could do it right yeah and I'm not sure if that's bucks. the same. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the same now that with, uh, you know, I used to see kids when I was in school and, you know, encourage them, why don't you come up for the cross-country ski team? Well, what do I need? Well, <laughs> and you start rattling <laughs> yeah, off yeah. a list of stuff. And, and granted, we had some donors and stuff that we had some loaner skis right. that we could get the kids on so they could at least get a taste of whether they liked it or not. But mm -hmm. It, it's a, definitely a, a challenge for the sport is the financial end of it. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. probably more likely to like the sport if you have that top-end equipment versus the loaner wooden yeah. skis from the 70s, right? I mean, right. I think success breeds mm -hmm. success. I think you yeah. know, anything you have that you're able to uh, you know, go out and, and feel a little success, you're more apt to definitely. enjoy it and come back and continue to yep. do it again. Yep, and then you, just, then you get better and better. Yeah. And you have more right. success. So, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So you mentioned a few times training, and I'm curious, Brent, what, what's your training like, particularly on the run side, but even in the, the Nordic side as well? Um, 
I know just enough, I always say I know just enough about training to uh, hurt myself. So <laughs> the last many years I've had uh, Gary hmm. Lepisto help me and write my schedule for me. And, and he is really in tune to what I'm able to do and what I'm not able to do. And he's always been a lydiard guy. He's always been a high, pretty high mileage fellow um, and so he he writes my schedules for me we we did something a couple years ago a little different than we that we had in the past we incorporated a couple of uh, slow runs that I would just go out and force myself to run slower than I felt comfortable doing because yes. <laughs> it's not always easy but um, I call it stupid slow sometimes. Yeah, and that's kind of what it was. It's like... Because it feels so dumb. Yeah. But it was good for me because it kept me healthy. I, You know, I had a, some hamstring issues and things, and I've never taken care of myself as far as stretching and, and those sorts of things. But uh, Gary's always been real keen as to what I can and can't do. And I think my bread and butter over the years is I've been real good about going out for long runs. I'll usually do a longer run on Wednesdays mm -hmm. in that 15 to 18 mile range and then on Saturdays uh, I would normally go up the shore and run on grandma's course because for whatever reason even I don't know if it's having the mile markers or whatever but I just seem to have a little better run if I go up on grandma's mm -hmm. and run the route you know park at Brighton Beach and go up and back or whatever but all yeah. my Saturdays would usually be anywhere from 20 to 28 mm -hmm. um, and over the years I, I haven't had a lot of uh, training partners they've there been a few around and then they've moved or whatever and you know as you know uh, doing any distance work at all it's it's sometimes hard to be motivated running alone yeah uh, again, I think I use that fear of failure to guilt myself out <laughs> onto the onto the ski trail or the the road or whatever. Yeah. Um, I used to like to get on trails and break it up a little bit by running uh, running in the woods, running uh, whatever trail is nearby. Yeah. I haven't, and I probably won't do that as much lately, just because. Uh, as a 67-year-old, my balance isn't quite as what it was as a 47-year-old or 37-year-old. So I, yeah. um, I seem to fall harder and more often at this stage of the game. So I, uh, the ski trail in Cloquet at Pine Valley is about five and a half kilometers, and that's groomed very wide. It's mm -hmm. mowed. Uh, pretty much free of roots and rocks and anything that's going to trip me up so a trail yeah. run to me now is nothing like a trail run yeah used to be i think right. that was those were some of the best days as uh gary and uh fellow uh moved from the area kevin pates kevin wasn't much for running trails but we would occasionally get him out on a trail and and those were some fun workouts just uh yeah. gill creek and carlton and oh, yeah. uh, get on the power lines although now i don't know if you can anymore i think they're no trespassing but people yeah. wouldn't believe the the <laughs> contour the elevation on the on the power lines i mean you wouldn't even think that we had land around here like that but yeah. um, we're fortunate to live in this area to have the the trails that we do uh you could run on a you know doing the night the wednesday night races in duluth and we host one in Cloquet, you can run on a lot of different trails before you have to run on the same one a second time. So yeah. we're really fortunate to live in the area that we that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we talk about that quite a bit on, on the podcast and how we're so, so thankful. I was in Hartley this morning. Oh, running, yeah. So, yeah. So you had kind of the, the goal to bring your time down at Grandma's every year. And that was a, it sounds like a big motivating factor for you, Brent. And uh, I guess how much did training play into that? And um, especially on kind of your fastest times, did you, looking back, can you, can you like tell a, a noted difference in your training certain years that 
translated to success at the marathon? You know, up until about uh, three years ago, I never kept a training log. Well, I probably kept hundreds of them. I'd go for about a week and then I'd quit. And so I don't. <laughs> I. You're like, I'm training my legs, not my wrists. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what would happen is I'd be on a, a stretch of a good stretch of training, and I write everything down, and then I'd miss a couple of days because oh, I yeah. had an ache or pain or whatever, and then I'd thinking, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. But I have consistently kept one. I don't know if I did things a whole lot different back then, other than. You know, just the age thing and probably run, you know, training at a faster pace. Mm-hmm. I try to do now, or uh, up prior to my last marathon, I tried to do uh, my longer runs at uh, 7.30 pace or faster. Um, you know, and back then, I don't know what I was running my longer runs at, but I'm sure it was considerably faster than mm-hmm. what I do them at now. I, I, I really did have a goal like many of the Duluth area runners uh, Mr. Wicker being one of them that broke 230 I never I never did get down there I had a uh, 231 52 but that's as close as I as Mm -hmm. close as I got and that's one thing that not that I can do anything about it now but um, (laughs) I think I was in that Gary had me in shape to run under 230 for whatever reason uh i i didn't yeah yeah but yeah that's the marathon yeah that's yeah anything can happen down on london road right Oh, exactly (laughs) yeah exactly but you continue to have we'll just say success just based on times and things like that success as a master and what now a grandmaster is that so I'm not sure what... Uh, I don't even know what the designations are anymore. I think in my age, they go by the number of teeth you have. Yeah, I'm okay. In, I'm in four, four or less. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been able to stay consistent, it sounds like, with your running over 40 years. I, I have, and I think that gets back to that long run, making sure that I get that covered a couple times a week. So... With that idea then, because you're doing it so often, if I'm hearing you right, that long run then just isn't quite as stressful anymore to the body. You've adapted. Um, actually, it's, it's as far as my recovery, it's probably more stressful because I, I just don't recover like I used to where I get done with a long run before... I'd be able to come out of it pretty quickly. Now it's uh, spend a little too much time in the recliner after a long run, mm-hmm. so I don't recover quite like I like I used to. Yeah, right. I th- and another thing that has helped me along the way is I really try to stay consistent. If if Gary, when Gary gives me my weekly schedule, um, other than lightning. That's the only thing that's going to keep me from doing that schedule for that week. And it's the mm-hmm. same way in the winter. Um, you know, maybe I'll get driven someplace that I can run back with the winds so mm-hmm. you don't have to deal with the wind chill. And, and maybe that's wimping out a little bit. I don't know. But it's just uh, kind of allows me to get out in basically any weather conditions mm-hmm. and... Right get my workout in that day because again it gets back to that i that idea of i don't want to get on london road and wish geez i wish i'd have gone out for that run or i wish i had done that i wanted i want to be like i say the best that i can be on that day and again it's a lot slower than it used to be but it's a challenge that i have not to lose as little time as possible over the last over the years mm-hmm. uh 21 I ran 302 in the marathon and uh, that was the second time that I hadn't broken three hours but Mm. I knew that wasn't a very good race and so again I just made sure and the weather conditions were, were, were good. It wasn't anything out, any outside factor other than it just didn't go well for me. Mm-hmm. So then I was able to come back the next year and run a 258 
47 and so at age 65 yes at age 65 uh 66 actually 66 yeah and then this year i i i missed it and the when i ran the 302 it happened to be a an age group record at, at grandma's it wow. had been 305 for many years jared mondry a fellow from the cities and and i i knew that i it hadn't gone very well and then the next year i ran the the 258 47 and i saw chad somala up at the starting line and chad said mm -hmm. the key to the race is negative splits and mm. I kind of laughed to myself knowing I've never run negative splits. So why start now, basically? And um, the second half of my marathon was one second faster than the first half of my marathon. Oh, wow. So technically I ran That's a negative split. That's right. <laughs> and so that was a 258.47. Uh, and this year I went down as a spectator and mm. I looked on my phone at some finishing times and a fellow in my age group from New Jersey ran 25 seconds faster than me mm. so my my course record was pretty short-lived at, <laughs> at grandma's but that's that's part of the deal you know hats right. off to him for uh, for running and I'm sure he knew what he had to do based yeah. on the fact it was only 25 seconds I'm sure he mm -hmm. came into the race thinking well I think I can set this record and yeah and he did so yeah. great for him yep absolutely it's got to be a little bittersweet setting uh, the age record but it's over three hours yeah because knowing that it was a rough race right or didn't and, go and I would and it, it probably again probably sounds stupid but i would much rather have a good race yeah than set a course record right because as this showed and as dick beardsley has seen course records aren't going to last yeah mm -hmm. i actually thought my 258 since it had been 305 for many years i thought my 258 was going to last longer than a year <laughs> but again that's that's part of the deal yeah but you're right i i would rather have a good go home and say that was a good day versus yeah I ran lousy and happened to set a record. Mm -hmm. But it goes both ways too. I mean, are you looking at the 68-year-old record, 69-year-old record, 70, and kind of? Well, for as far as grandma's goes, it's 65 through 69. So I think that sure, that sure, record sure. might be in my rearview mirror now. But uh, I, I guess there's always 70. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, do you look at those thinking like, sure, I can do it. Yeah, I, I yeah. got this. Yeah, I wanted, I want to. Uh, as long as I'm healthy, I want to keep doing this. And I've had, again, I had this foot surgery in December. I, I came back and started doing a little bit of running, and I had some other foot-related issues. So I, right now, my uh, workouts are strictly roller skiing. Mm -hmm. I live fairly close mm -hmm. to the Munger, so I get out. Uh, I take one day off a week. I get out anywhere from 11 to 25 miles on roller skis and, and try mm -hmm. to again prepare for the winter mm -hmm. winter season yep yes what are some Berkey goals then this year I it's hard to say and it's same with grandma's it's hard to say I want to be competitive in my age group because you really don't have any control over that you really don't know right who's going to show gonna up be there right exactly. and <laughs> so um, I just want to be able to go out and, and feel strong and ski well throughout the whole race. Just mm -hmm. like in a marathon, um, in whatever place that is, that's, that's the way it goes. You can't go back and change it. Um, same, with, same with grandmas. If I run a great race and I'm 12th in my age group, I'll yeah. take it. Right, yeah. Because, right. again, uh, kudos to the 11 guys and gals or whatever that that beat me that day mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so it, it it's more of a uh feeling of getting to the finish line again with dignity and and mm -hmm. um just feeling good at the end yeah and particularly that's the case with bigger races such as the berkey or grandma's twin cities you know because they're such a big deal race they're going to draw people from all over so you're you, you like you say you some days you could be great and still be outside of the top 10 or whatever right right yeah. and that's that's not a big i um 
I don't set my sights on, I want to come back and uh, win my age group at grandma's next year. I want to, what I do want to do is hopefully stay healthy during the winter and come back and run a competitive, for me, I, you know, I always mm-hmm. have to qualify it, but run a competitive race mm-hmm. for me because now I'm, you know, three hours, you're, there's a lot of people that finish ahead of you when you run a three-hour marathon at <laughs> <Right>. Grandma's. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> so it's uh, it's just part of the deal. Yep. Yeah. I'm curious, Brent, about injuries. You mentioned this a couple times, and you've been running for a long time. How have you kind of managed injuries throughout your running career? What's worked for you? What um, what advice might you have for some of our listeners? Well, I think probably take care, better care of yourself than I have. I've never, <laughs> like I say, I've never really stretched. Uh, I'll wait till something is hurt and then I'll try to stretch or whatever. But I think if there's such a thing as luck, that I've been lucky because I've had some some foot issues. I've had some hamstring uh, issues. I took a fall skiing a few years ago that I dinged up a hamstring, but. Um, and a lot of it, I think, goes with what Gary tries to do, too, that uh, he knows what I'm capable of. He incorporated, like I said, a couple of those easy mm. workouts into my week just to try to mm. hold off any nagging-type injuries. Yeah. It, it just takes me longer now to recover from what used to just be a little, you know, I mean, you guys know you've always got something barking at you a little bit as far yeah. as running goes and and over time I've kind of learned of what a good pain is compared mm-hmm. to a bad pain and so mm-hmm. there's a lot of times you can have that good pain and still get out and get your workout in right. and I think that's the nice uh, a nice factor with Nordic skiing is you don't get that uh, repetitive pounding on the on the pavement or on the trails like you do with running so it's yeah. it's a, a great cardiovascular workout without the pounding so it get it yeah. uh, just helps you recover a little bit yeah that's interesting uh, with your training plan to almost like minimize the guesswork right like right if if you have full faith in Gary to put together a plan that's gonna not overextend your abilities. Yeah, I and, and I yeah. I do. We've worked together many years, and we, I've done a lot of running with Gary and the the uh, Denfeld team over when he was coaching at Denfeld with mm-hmm. the Denfeld team, and that was always a kind of a fun motivator because you know you're 40, 50 years old, and you're running with 17 and 18 year olds, <laughs> and you're trying to keep up, and you're uh, not always successfully because he's had some good runners over there with yeah. the Polsons and the Lowbergs, right. and, um, <laughs> so. Um, we used to do a workout oh there'd be a half a dozen of us or so but underneath the the gymnasium at Denfeld High School there's a small oval a cement oval with banked corners really and it's I don't remember even the distance but we used to do five minute intervals we'd meet one day a week and run five minute intervals and he'd have some high school runners there and he'd run and this fellow I mentioned Kevin Pates would run uh, we'd finish it off with some pretty serious ping pong in the lobby at Denfeld High School but <laughs> those were probably the toughest workouts yeah I've ever done because when you get a group together like that yeah in, or in any group run Somebody always feels good, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and so somebody always has their day yeah. and is going to push the pace a little bit. I think I quit running more than once at Denfeld <laughs> High School. That I said, "That's it." I grabbed my shoes and I said, "I'm out of here," because those were some tough. But you look back on it, and those are the those are the fun workouts as well, because you're with a group of guys and they're mm-hmm. hurting as bad as you are. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, they were. You look forward to those workouts in a sick sort of way, I guess. Yeah. yeah. What would it be? <laughs> Everyone wants to kind of bury each other. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah, there's there yeah. yeah. Kind of that take no prisoners Macho. attitude. Yeah. Macho guy. Yeah. And we would have I think every one of us, if I remember correctly, every one of us would take a turn leading the five minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we always I did anyway, I always looked forward to when uh, Kevin would lead because you knew it was gonna be a little slower, but dang it he would 
he would turn it up for his turn to run so there's no <laughs> breaks when pates got to yeah. <laughs> to lead the charge but yeah it was a it was fun but very grueling workouts yeah yeah that's awesome banked concrete track yeah huh? Yeah. In the basement. In the basement, and they have, <laughs> uh, it was lined with, like, knee-high walls because they would, uh, great place for floor hockey. Okay. From what I and from what, from what I understand, it was built as a wrestling spot because they thought that high school wrestling was going to take off in Duluth. Huh. That's uh, the story mm. I was told, so. Interesting. But, it was, yeah, it's a fun, fun place. <laughs> That's awesome. So we talked about kind of three races in particular, the Berkey, Grandma's, and Twin Cities, but uh, have you participated in many other races, especially as like lead-ups to your priority race, or what about other events through the years? It's kind of gotten to the stage that in running, I was just doing Grandma's. Mm -hmm. I would, uh, many years, I doubled and did uh, Grandma's in Twin Cities. I'm not a fan of hot weather running, I would get out for workouts, but I have a difficult time mm-hmm. pushing myself. Mm-hmm. And this summer would have been a tough one right. yep. to get out there. Um, so I haven't doubled up. Uh, I do three or four ski races prior to the Berkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. Uh, there's one in Ironwood I do, one in Monaco, Wisconsin. I'll sometimes do one in Houghton, a couple on the mm. Berkey Trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I... I probably do more of those again just because recovery is so much easier I can I can do a 50k ski race today and come back and do another race next weekend where if I did a marathon today I'm certainly not going to do a, a race again next week so I can't think my goal for grandmas is more to stay healthy to get to the starting line mm-hmm. and that's why I don't do a lot of a uh, bunch of us used to go up to Thunder Bay mm. and run a ten, the ten mm. miler up the there Fireman's. in the spring. And, yeah. Yep, and I haven't done that in many years. Yeah, um, but there, there are a lot more racing on the on the ski circuit than the running circuit yeah. for me. And I've done a few other marathons years ago during the winter. I wasn't skiing. Uh, Las Vegas marathon was. <laughs> A February race, actually. I went out and did that. I've, uh, I did uh, Madison a few years back. That's the first time that I, I got to the starting line and saw police officers with uh, automatic weapons guarding the start of the race. I thought, well, that's a change that I wish we didn't have to go through, but that's yeah. a sign of the times. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, when I turned 60, I went out and did Boston, and that was kind of the same deal that uh, you go from the area where you're just sitting around before the race, a little bit of a walk to the starting line, and there were uh, snipers on the rooftops. Jeez, yeah. And it, it's really a reality check. This was I, I did it when I turned 60, and I believe it was two years after the bombing incident, so obviously security is going to be amped up mm-hmm. yeah. for that. So. Um, but I haven't done a lot of other marathons that I've tried to just, again, be competitive or at grandma's and, and focus on that. We used to do a lot of the small town yeah. summer races. You'd go to the, uh, Ashland for the Bay Days. They had the 10K over there, and we used to do a lot more of that, and I haven't done that mm. and probably... 20, 25 years have yeah. I gone to one of those. And those mm-hmm. were fun. You'd travel with a couple of guys, and usually it was Kevin and Gary and I again. And mm-hmm. um, and those were those were fun day races, but I just haven't taken the time to do them. So, I mean, did you ever get into the thought of, I'm going to try my PR at 5K, 10K, you know, uh, half marathon, ultra marathon, or it sounds like through your whole career you've been pretty focused on the marathon yeah I, th- I think for me it has been the marathon yeah uh, I haven't done other than the Kernow I've done a number of the half voyagers mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that's been I will say fun over the years those have been <laughs> because I used to do a lot of running in Jay Cook so those sure, were yeah. kind of 
areas that I knew. Home course. Uh, exactly. You'd get, again get on the power lines, and I'd run those a lot, so I knew what I was gonna. I was getting into. I had never taken the plunge and done the the full Voyager, and I know Jaro was always kind of uh, goading me into doing that. One year, um, running the fall series, I happened to win the series, and he reminded me that I was the only one to ever win the series without winning a race. So <laughs> I think it was by attrition. I was the only one that showed up at all of the races. But it just happened that year that the prize for winning the series was a free entry to the Voyager. Oh. But I, I didn't bite on the offer, <laughs> the and, and I uh, give a lot of credit to you folks that take on those distances because uh, you're putting in a shift. That's that's a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you have to. Um, I always say you got You have to do the work. That it's not gonna. You're not gonna have any success at all. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't put in the work, so you fellows that are out for those 50 and 100 milers, you, you're out there spending a lot of time on your feet preparing to get ready for that. And I, I guess that's something that I just didn't take the plunge to do. Yeah. So what is it about the marathon that's really, I guess, captured your passion? Maybe because they're so darn hard. <laughs> I mean, you always find out a little about yourself and I probably know too much about myself because <laughs> you got a lot of time out on that race course yeah and and I always try and I'm not always successful at it but like I, I mentioned earlier how sometimes the miles just click right by I always try to not let the highs get too high and the lows get too low mm-hmm. during the race because mm-hmm. it would be like we mentioned earlier, it'd be easy to think, man, these miles are just clicking by. This is easy. It's a piece of cake. Well, you're at the eight-mile mark, and things haven't right. started to get ugly yet. It should yet. be easy. Yeah, yeah it should you're be. You're in marathon Yeah, if, if, if you're having troubles there, you've right. got a long day ahead of you. <laughs> but the same is true on, on when you get on London Road. London Road, yeah. for me, is a tough, tough haul. It is. And... I've never been particularly um, frightened by the prospects of running Lemon Drop Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not fun, that's for sure. But uh, you train it on it's the power there. lines. Yeah, right? I mean it's there. Yeah, you got to do it. But um, yeah, London Road is is just you can see long stretches ahead of you. Um, you know, there's a place, I think, at the 10-mile mark on Grandma's course where you can look across the water and see the lift bridge, and it looks to be about half an inch big, and you think, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a long haul ahead of me. And I think that's one of the uh, factors in running Twin Cities that I've always enjoyed the, twin, the route of the Twin Cities Marathon yeah. because you don't have those long stretches mm-hmm. where you yeah. can see, like, a mile down the road yeah uh, summit avenue gets a little long mm-hmm. but overall i think the race course and and i'm spoiled living fairly close to the lake because it isn't that big a deal now to come over the hill and see the lake whereas if you're a visitor to this area i'm sure the mm-hmm. fellow from new jersey running along the shores of lake superior yeah. it was a pretty neat gig right for for his time but you know being here for my whole life uh I, ju- I guess I don't have that draw like yeah. maybe visitors to the area do. Right. But as far as organization and the the volunteers and, and everything that goes into Grandma's, it's it's a heck of an event for the area. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Still is. Not yeah. only just the economic impact, but just the pride as well. Exactly. I, I mean, I think it's kind of something that Duluth great. can hang its hat on as far as, the, I mean, it's more than just marathon weekend. It's... Mm-hmm. You know, the people plan year-round for it, and mm-hmm. all of the volunteers that uh, give up their time to be down and handing out water for five or six hours in a day, and I'm thinking, you know, that's that's what makes the race so, 
so special. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the dedicated runners. I mean, that's how Grandma's got to where it's at now. Is the core group of Duluth runners who are so passionate about racing it every year. I mean, that's what I kind of think of as well. Like back in the late '70s, early '80s, would Grandma's even be where it's at yeah. if it wasn't, you know, this this core group of local runners making it happen? You know, I don't know Scott at all, Keenan, but obviously his impact and his stick to itiveness mm-hmm. to because um, I'm sure it always hasn't been easy to go out and get sponsor money and to, right. to uh, do all of the things behind the scenes but he the the race was sure in a good spot when he handed off the torch and mm-hmm. looks yeah. like many strong years ahead it looks like the Tough running one. interest is up a tick as far as uh, the numbers are getting in and adding the Bjorkland and the the Irvin to mm-hmm. the field, it, it isn't just a, a singular event anymore. It's yeah. the the whole the whole weekend is mm-hmm. filled with people, and and everybody has a little bit different goal in mind. You know, some some want the T-shirt, uh, mm-hmm. some lost a bet in a bar that you can't run a marathon, <laughs> or you can't do this or whatever. Um, I whether it's healthy attitude or not I I think I'm just wired a little differently that again I don't want to just I know I could do a lot less training and still finish the marathon just like you could probably do a lot less training and finish the hundred miler it it (laughs) would it would get ugly yeah but you could do it yeah and I just kind of have the attitude that I've got enough t-shirts Right. That I just want to see where I can be on that day. Yeah. And maybe, like I said, maybe that isn't the real healthy attitude. Maybe a person's better off saying, "Cut it back and go out and enjoy the enjoy the yeah. the process more." Uh, on race day, I don't know if enjoyment has ever come into. <laughs> my mind because like, like I said it's a tough deal it sounds like to me for you it's a um, like a process of discovery every, every year maybe a new new exploration as it were yeah and like I said I, you know I'm at the stage now where I want to give up as little time yeah from where I was a year ago or two years ago or three years ago I know it's not gonna I'm, I know I'm not gonna see the 240s or 230s you mm-hmm. know Again, I'd like to see the 250s again, whether that's possible or not. I don't know, but um, yeah, you again on the tr- on the logging your training miles. Uh, if you're out there alone, that's you've got a lot of a lot of time to think, and and there are days where um, you're a little better at pushing yourself, mm-hmm. and there are other days that. Well, I'm not <laughs> quite as eager to put myself like <laughs> right. Jesse Diggins calls it the pain cave. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't entered as far as she's able to put herself, but that's for sure. But um, <laughs> there are days that you're more willing to push harder in some days that I just, for whatever reason, back off a little bit. And, yeah. and maybe that's all part of survival in the sport is right knowing there's a time to step on the accelerator and and um knowing a time to back off a bit yeah well that's an interesting topic brent about survival in the sport because you know we've interviewed a lot of very passionate runners and i would say we've had countless guests who specifically have a goal of just running their whole life right and now you've been running for several decades do you have any tips for our listeners or thoughts just like looking back like what does it take to be a lifelong runner um i think now and and maybe i'm not answering this correctly but i think now uh, and i especially learned it after the surgery where i had to take the winter off um i think the idea for me is just don't stop because I think if you do stop, it makes it easier hmm. to stay stopped. <laughs> I think the idea of 
it's just part of a lifestyle for me that today I know I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I went for roller ski this morning. I mean, I, I know that every day I'm going to do something to try to improve my fitness level. Interesting. And I think that yeah. the, the, the thing is, is just having the self-discipline, self-motivation, whatever it is, to get out the next day. I think yeah. sometimes the hardest work, part of the workout is tying on your shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Because yeah. once you get out there, even though, man, there's other things that I'd rather do than or ought do to this, do, right? yeah, than do this <laughs> hill workout right now. But uh, once you get out there and you get going, hey, it's not bad. Yeah. And and I, I think too, as little challenges, and I, and I'm not saying everybody has to be a racer. Mm -hmm. I think uh, maybe the healthier route to go would be. <laughs> What for a three mile jog or a three mile walk, you know, instead of what some of us do. But yeah. um, it's just uh, every workout can have little motivations built in. I did, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I roller skied this morning and I started in Carlton and I got to my turnaround and I looked at my watch and it was the slowest I've skied all year. So my motivation on the way back was, well, I got to ski back faster than I got here today or than I, I did the first half. And the first half was more downhill, so I had a little work to do to, to, <laughs> mm -hmm. on, the, on the uphill stretch. But I think that's one of the things about our workouts is that every, you can break every workout down into a little bit of a goal. Mm -hmm. And each, each of those workouts then is part of the big goal right to and that's where Gary's been so beneficial for me is he knows what the big goal is yeah. and he's well read on on the coaching aspect of it and uh, he knows the little steps I need to take to uh, get to the big goal mm -hmm. interesting okay. I think it's so easy for us to say and I, I guess I'm speaking personally is I've done so much work and the race went well. I deserve to take some time off. I don't have to run every day. And so I think that uh, is good to hear for me personally, Brent, because I fall into that so easily and then I fall off and then it, it's it's impossible to get back going. And when I do get back going, it's like, you, you just look back. It's like, I, I used to be able to run so much faster. Why did I take all that time yeah. off? And, so I think for me personally to find that motivation to just chip away daily, even if it's just something, I think is important. I did, uh, like I said, after my foot surgery, I did a little running earlier this summer, and we talked about those painfully slow runs or stupid mm. slow runs. I was slower than painfully slow <laughs> yeah. and I was working pretty hard at it yeah, and yeah. It, it was Great. and I I talked to Gary and I talked to some friends and I said you know I just wonder if it's time that I not do this anymore because it was it was pretty humbling yeah. and pretty disappointing to and I'm I'm going like two and three miles yeah. and I'm and I'm running like nine minute mile pace Whereas before, even like when I did those slower runs last summer, I couldn't get myself to run at that right. run at that pace. And now I'm yeah. working hard and right. barely getting there. And it's <laughs> it was it's really been a tough process to get back. Hmm. Kind of, and I know. Then that's a, that's the, one of the things about taking time off again, or rewarding yourself by taking time off, is mm -hmm. um, at a certain stage. Uh, you may be here when you take time off and when you come back, you're not going to get up to that level again. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get right. to where you were before. So uh, that's why, again, I'm kind of afraid to, uh, other than something like a surgery where you have to, I'm afraid yeah. to take a whole lot of time off. Again, if something is, you get into that bad pain, you know you have to take some time off to let mm -hmm. things uh, heal a bit. But right. um, 
a strong motivator, right? That, well, that fear, fear almost yeah. of yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to fear and guilt. <laughs> I don't want to be walking. I yeah. know. Yeah. Interesting. It's all for fun, though. At the oh yeah, right? well, the, it is. It, yeah. I mean, you're not going to make any. You're not going to make any money at it. That's for sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> a funny kind of paradox. Make some good memories, some good friends, though. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's part part of the deal is. Uh, you look back over the years, and I, I didn't really get into the, there was a, uh, a group, the, the Gene Nemes and the Vern mm. Johnsons and mm-hmm. the, uh, the Jess Koskies and Jay Lees and, and that folk, those folks. I really didn't get into that group as a younger runner. I'm sure it would have helped me mm-hmm. because... At the time, they were all running faster than I was, so it would have been a good motivator for me hmm. to. Uh, and in fact, they all have faster PRs than I do. I'm sure. Again, I'm looking at the at looking at the marathon, but um, that would have been a good motivator for me to, uh, you know, to try to keep up with that group. But I, I, you're right. The friendships and the the time the you spend with other runners is mm-hmm. it's it's what makes the process enjoyable yeah my contact with gary uh, and now with texting we don't (laughs) talk as much as we used to he'll send me my schedule on a sunday but i'll call him if i have a question or if yeah uh, but those are the those are the things that make it yeah uh, and again i go back to my two high school coaches uh joe nowak and mike marciniak joe was the the quote head ski coach but he was in charge of the jumpers my cross-country coach was uh, Mike Marciniak and they had a a big impact on on my I think my enjoyment mm. and uh, maybe a competitive nature although they certainly didn't put any pressure as far as the competition goes uh, it's interesting when when Mike got out of coaching I I got his coaching job Mm-hmm. So I replaced the fellow, and I you, you couldn't replace Mike, but I I replaced the fellow that was my high school coach. So that was it was, and he stuck around a few years to help me out because, as I said many times, he forgot more about cross country skiing than I'll ever than I ever <laughs> knew. But he was uh, Joe and Mike were real uh, positive influences in my life, and I knew uh, we had a stretch at Cloquet where we had won like 10 state championships in a row and my claim in skiing and my claim to fame is I was on the first team that we didn't win the state tournament (laughs) as a sophomore in high school. Uh, Skiing at the time was uh, all three disciplines counted. You had three Mm. slalom skiers, you had three jumpers and you had three cross country skiers and you Mm. took the results of the the two best in each. Mm. Okay. So as a... uh, grade school kid the the uh alpine was at montalac and the cross country and the jumping was at uh chester bowl okay and at chester bowl you had to go under a tunnel under kenwood avenue up onto saint scholastica property and back through the tunnel Oh, cool and i had a, a friend i mentioned earlier in the podcast is denny nelson he was leading the state meet he had already passed one of the quins that uh-huh. was the eventual winner and he went under the bridge or through the tunnel and you went from light to dark and what they had done is they had taken pine boughs uh-huh. and covered the pine boughs with snow and he didn't see one of the pine boughs and he caught his ski on it wooden skis he snapped his ski broke his ski and finished on finished on one ski so those are just the uh we had a (laughs) the uh the state meet my the four years i skied the state meet was moved to pine valley and cloquet they still Mm. had the downhill at montalac the cross country and the jumping was at um cloquet and we have a a downhill on the course it's it's called Gap Hill, and it it takes about a ninety degree left on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And even with wooden skis, it was a, a fairly treacherous for people coming out of town. We skied it all the time, so it wasn't a big deal. But 
Most competitors would take an extra ski and line the corner of the race course with an extra <laughs> ski, thinking, well, if I'm going to fall and break a ski, this is where it's going to be. So, I, so they'd pop up and he'd have an extra ski to put on uh, right away. But uh, that sport, even as much as running has probably changed over the years, the yeah. sport of cross-country skiing is just... yeah. Uh, with the number of competitors, uh, the venues that they have, the, the groom trails that they... Um, Bonnie and Dave Cask at Duluth East, both their boys and girls were state champions last year, teams. Mm-hmm. They get 150 kids out for their sport. I yeah. mean, it's just... Wow. It's, yeah. it's huge. And, and they are great ambassadors of the sport, but the state meet now is a two-day meet. They have sprints and relays and yeah. pursuits, and it's... It's really, and I look back at the years that we had it, had the state meet at the dinky little Pine Valley Ski Chalet and had a military, green military tent put up for a waxing area <laughs> with those heaters inside. Yeah. Pretty rudimentary compared to what yeah. is there now for the kids. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Questions, Tony? No, I don't think so. Thank you so much for well, thank you for joining us. I hope it wasn't it too wasn't, painful. It wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, good, excellent. <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right, and that wraps up number sixty-four of the Duluth Rundown podcast. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Mr. Brent Smith, for joining us. Really fun to talk to talk to Brent and hear some of his stories he's a guy who's been running for a long time and running fast for a long time it's really impressive yep um thanks to all of our listeners of course thanks to you Mike for helping out and doing what you do and yeah I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody out there absolutely and also uh hey a little shout out um email us the Duluth rundown at gmail.com if you have an idea for an episode thoughts comments race you want to highlight race results you want to highlight we love uh, hearing from our our uh listenership so give us uh, give us a shout and see you next month <laughs>